session with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Let me announce the book of the week that I announced Monday. For this week, it is Good Reasons for Bad Feelings by Randolph Ness. Good Reasons for Bad Feelings, Insights from the Frontier of Evolutionary Psychiatry. And uh, as I mentioned Monday night, I'm uh, sometimes a big fan of bad feelings, the ones that we think of as negative because they don't feel good, but they can very often have value. And in this book, um, Dr. Ness looks at I'm only maybe 40 pages in, so I can't tell you exactly what he's going to talk about, but it seems like looking at our feelings or even what we call mental illness or disorders from the perspective of evolution, not that they we have depression necessarily because the disease was something good, but that it could be from various different factors through evolution that we do have something like depression or anxiety, and that there could be, as the title says, good reasons for bad feelings. We want to try to understand it from an evolutionary perspective, or even the idea of having pain. It's good for us to have pain, physical pain, to know that something is wrong or something is hurting us or could be damaging our tissue. Um, But then at the same time, we can recognize that pain might be exaggerated because in an attempt to protect the body, the brain might get signals that things are worse than they actually are. So for example, people who do ultra marathons who run For example, I think it's like 100 miles, something incredible like that. Um, They'll talk about how at times it feels like they get to a point where they really can't go anymore and their body is about to fall apart, but that they can keep pushing through that. So they know that they can at some level ignore or recognize that the pain they're feeling is an exaggeration of how bad actually their body is doing. But anyway, the book so far has been very interesting, and I'm looking forward to finishing that and talking about it on next Monday's show. Now, related to bad feelings, um, I wanted to start off today talking about some of my own bad feelings and bad feelings in general. So yesterday, um, if you have been listening lately, I went a few weeks ago to Barcelona and got to see an incredible uh, two soccer matches, but one that was really amazing and had a great time and an amazing experience. And if you follow the world of sports, yesterday was a horrible day for the Barcelona soccer team where they lost Uh, A really bad game where they had to not lose by three goals, but they lost 4-0. And because of that, were eliminated from the UEFA Champions League. A huge disappointment. And so I was very down watching. The game was very stressful. And then when they lost that way, uh, ever since then, I've felt down. And so this is something that uh, sports fans are very familiar with. The thrill of victory, but then the agony of defeat. And that we have both. 
And sometimes people say, well, you won't enjoy the sunshine if there's never a rainy day. And there's some truth to that in a way, but really more the way I look at it is that if you care about something and you care when it goes well, then you're also going to care when it doesn't go well. So that's what I wanted to talk about because at times people try with themselves or with their loved ones or their kids to have this mindset of when something goes well, be happy about it and celebrate it. But when if it doesn't go well or if it goes bad, you shouldn't care and it's not a big deal. And you can't really have it both ways. Or, for example, people will say, um, I'm so grateful for the nice things someone has said to me. It felt very good. But you can't say that and then also say if they say something mean, I'm not going to care at all. It doesn't mean you have to be devastated when they say something you don't like. But it's hard to explain how you can feel good when they say something nice, but you're not going to care when they say something mean. And sometimes the lesson is actually that we shouldn't get too up from the good or too down from the bad and being aware that we shouldn't care so much. And so that's something that I think is good advice to keep in mind. If someone gives you a compliment about something you're doing, it's okay to take it in and let it feel good, absolutely. But if it's making you feel too good, unfortunately, the flip of that, it's showing that you're so dependent or so affected by what people think of you or say about you, that if you get some negative feedback, you're going to be devastated by it. It's going to hurt too much. But so coming back to this uh, idea of if we're going to let, if something makes us feel good, it's understandable that it's also going to make us feel bad. I see this happen with parents and their kids in a lot of different ways. So for example, their kid is playing in a sports team. So just because I was talking about watching sports and the kids team wins and they celebrate they say, Woo, let's celebrate let's go out this is such a great thing we're so happy we're so excited and they go have a good time then the next week the kids team loses and the kid is sad maybe even cries is down whatever they're feeling and the parents response rather than being yeah i know you really care about the games and you wanted to win and you tried your best it's more like well who cares it's just a game how does this affect your life in any way and different ways of invalidating or dismissing what the child is going through. And to me, this is incompatible to say that when your team wins, we're going to be so happy and excited and celebrate. But when they lose, the thing we're talking about doesn't even matter. Who cares? Who cares if your team lost? Let's let's go do something else. There's so many, you know, or people go to places of, there's people suffering way worse than this. How can you be sad about this right now? Or um, other ways of dismissing or in invalidating what the person is going through. But we want to make sure we're being consistent because that's what makes sense. If you feel good when you win, it's understandable you feel bad when you lose. Now, this does bring up this other aspect of our psychology, which you can call loss aversion, which unfortunately seems to find that we take losses worse than we take gains in a positive way meaning that if you were to get $5, it would make you feel less good compared to how bad you feel if you lose $5. And this is another reason why gambling can be such a uh, unfortunately negative enterprise. First of all, you're going to lose in the long run if you're playing against a casino, for example. But also, even when you win, it doesn't make you feel as good as when you lose. Sometimes even they say it's something like two to one. Like you have to win twice as much to feel as good as uh, it makes you feel bad when you lose half that amount uh, or that, that amount. So we're 
going into something that really does have a negative expectation, both financially and emotionally. Um, but anyway, that seems to be the case. So coming back to this idea of if you're yourself or someone you're with or care about is going through something, we don't want to minimize what they go through. If um, th- And this is also something we see in relationships. They can make us feel so good. We care so much about our loved ones. We're social beings and creatures, and we have lots of strong feelings when it comes to um, relationships and people that makes us feel so good. So, of course, we feel sad if we get betrayed by someone or when someone dies. But people try to have that same mindset. Okay, you love your grandma so much, and it's so nice to be around her, and you love her, but when she dies, don't cry. Don't be sad about it. And that doesn't make sense. To me, that's not logical to say, and I actually don't like using that word logical, but it doesn't make sense to say, enjoy the relationship, love it so much, feel so good about it, but then if you lose it, don't care. That, to me, is not actually uh, being consistent with what you're saying. And so that's why breakups hurt, and that's why I think it makes sense to be sad after a breakup. People sometimes think if you're sad after a breakup, it's like you're giving something to your ex. Like every tear you cry is somehow making them money or making them feel good in some way. But if you cry after a breakup, all that means is that you're grieving the loss of that relationship and that person in your life. And that makes sense. Hopefully you have relationships that are worth crying about. Meaning that hopefully you have a relationship that makes you feel so good, that you value it, that you enjoy it, that you feel a closeness, that you have good experiences with that person, that when you lose it, I would hope it does make you sad. I hope it does give you a feeling of pain and loss because that shows that there was something good there. But some people try to live a life in which they want to feel good from things, but then when they lose those things or when those same things don't go well, they want to feel nothing. And this is Um, Another way of what we can call, rather than our loss aversion that I was just talking about, but our pain aversion or our aversion to negative feelings. That's why I really wanted to read this book, Good Reasons for Bad Feelings, because I think it is so important to recognize that our, what we consider bad feelings or negative feelings, also have a value. They're not just something um, empty or they're not something just bad, because some people live life thinking, You're supposed to just reduce the negative feelings. You shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't get mad. You shouldn't feel guilt. If you don't feel guilt, then that would make you a sociopath or a psychopath if you never felt guilty about things. But I've heard people say, oh, guilt is such a stupid feeling. Guilt is such a waste to feel. But no, guilt makes sense. If we do something uh, that's not good, if we hurt someone we love, if we make a decision that hurts us or hurts someone else, it makes sense for us to have a negative feeling about it so we can pay attention to that and learn from it, use that feeling. If you don't feel anything bad, part of guilt can teach us that we don't want to feel that way again or do that thing again. But if we ignore it, we won't recognize that. So we want to have that balance of both the positive and the negative. Sometimes things make us feel good. That makes sense. Sometimes it's going to make us feel bad. And if we don't allow for it to make let us if we don't want to ever feel bad, it's hard to let it feel good. I remember Brené Brown in one of her TED Talks talked about how we try to numb our feelings. But she was saying you can't just numb the negative. If you numb your feelings, you numb the negative and the positive. And so the analogy I use for that is if, let's say, you want to numb your arm. You just don't want to feel anything there. So if you 
put an anesthetic into your arm and now your arm is numb, you won't feel any pain in your arm. That's great. But if someone gives you a massage, you also won't feel anything good there. So when we numb ourselves, we numb the good and the bad. And so when we have experiences in life, if we want to allow ourselves to feel good when things go the way we want or when something happens that we like, we also have to be ready that the flip of that is that when things don't go the way we like, when we face adversary uh, in our hardships, we're going to feel a pain, and that is understandable as well. So I felt that very strongly yesterday where when I went to the game a few weeks ago, I had such a great time. Um, but the flip of that was that when they lost, I felt the pain. And I accept that and I live by that. And something that the book talks about, or I think it's going to talk about, is how, as I just mentioned, we can sometimes have exaggerated feelings of pain or loss, which might be protective in a way. But this is where having mindfulness and being able to at times distance ourselves from our experience in a way where we can observe what we're going through can help us recognize when the pain might be exaggerated as well. So it might seem a little bit like a contradiction to say, on one hand, feel your feelings, but on the other hand, don't feel them too much. But there is an awareness we can have of why we're feeling what we're feeling or why we're feeling it so strongly that can be insightful as well. So again, the book of the week for this week, which in some way relates to what I was talking about, is Good Reasons for Bad Feelings by Randolph Ness, which I'll talk about on the show Monday night. All right, we're into our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to a caller now radio hamra you're on the air hello hi uh, Dr. Hi. thanks for calling thank you for taking my call um i have a 21 year old son he's in college and um he's doing well he's um um he never <clears throat> he was never a troublemaker he was pretty good in You said he's 21? He's 21 now. Okay. Now, already from what you're saying, um, and this actually came up on Monday's show, he it seems like it could just be he's more of an introverted person, and that's how he approaches things. 
um, which is not in and of itself a bad thing. We don't want to judge him for being that way. And I, I mentioned this on Monday night show that there is definitely a bias towards being extroverted and we think everyone should be that way. And um, he could just be more passive. Now, it seems like he's upset by how he feels he misses out on things and that's something he could potentially work on. But we want to make sure we don't make him feel bad for being um, an introvert. Even the word passive could seem more judgmental than introverted. So we want to be aware of even how we talk to him about it, that we don't make him feel like he shouldn't be the way he is. Now, if he wants to make changes in himself or even as an introvert, people can um, still get out of their comfort zone at times if they realize it has benefits for their career or social life in different ways. But that's what we want to focus on is if he wants to make some change, not that we want to make him an extrovert because that probably won't happen. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. Um, he has his own friends. He does what he wants to do. He's not. He's not unhappy. Um, so then, what's the problem? I, mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said, what's the problem then? Okay. So the problem that I see, and that's the reason I'm calling because I see it as a problem. It may not be a problem. The problem that I see is two things. Number one is that um, often. When it comes to doing something new, for example, when he was he was applying for college, he was not useful. He was useful. Um, or when he was looking for some job, or when he right now he's looking for internship, summer internship, summer yeah, summer internship. Or when he's thinking about um, figuring out his career, mm-hmm. he is um, kind of um, not getting. Uh, what is what is expected of him at that level to get? For example, I give you an example. So for his he's in third year college, he's finishing his third year, and he is he has been looking for a summer um, since November December time frame. And he can I stop you for? Let me stop you for a second. I I can't tell if you are we on speakerphone for you. Oh. Yeah, that might make because we're getting a little okay. bit of a echo and it's not as clear. Okay, is it better now? A little bit. Let's see. Yeah, go ahead. So you're saying he's in his third year, or um... yes, mm-hmm. he's finishing his third year in college, and um, he has been looking for summer internship, um, just like his his peers, um, same level as him, and. Up to today, he is actually finishing next week. He has not been able to find what he is looking for. Mm-hmm. And I think, I personally think that maybe he's not aggressive enough. He's not putting, uh, he's not going out of his comfort zone. He's not naturally reaching out there to look for things. And then when he doesn't get this job, he doesn't get the job he's looking for and all. Uh, Friends or people at his level all have jobs. I feel he kind of it, it kind of um, affects his um, self confidence. Like, okay, what's wrong with me? How come I'm not getting what but I does want? But does he to does he tell you that? He doesn't. He does okay. not speak at all. He's he's 
very upset that he hasn't found anything every time you talk to him oh yeah i'm still focusing on the job mm-hmm. don't you think i'm not doing anything i am sending resumes i haven't been able to find what i wanted well okay so something um, you just said there he said don't think i'm not doing anything which means yeah. that he's almost waiting for your criticism or judgment or he, trying to probably. yeah so you know, it does seem like he could be more introverted. He could also, it seems like there is some anxiety which might be keeping him from, um, get you said, getting out of his comfort zone or taking risks or fear of failure or fear of doing something new. There could be all those things happening. But we want to make sure, even you yourself said, he hasn't told me he's not happy with it. I'm worried about it. And so we have to let him have his experience and his feelings and not I feel that he's feeling. If he comes and tells you something's a problem, um, you know, you can talk to him about it. Even still, it's for him to figure it out. But we don't want to take on, even he hasn't said it's a problem yet, but create a problem and then say we're going to fix it for him or he has to fix this. Maybe he's okay being the way he is. He might be more introverted. And first of all, even if he's, we want him to be different, we can't change him anyway. Um, but we have to be aware of not putting what you the way you can affect him the most is in how you relate with him and if so if you come off judgmental or overly critical that's going to hurt his self-esteem more than you saying you should be more aggressive and go-getter and out there that doesn't just make him change if anything he's just going to feel worse about how he is right right so what is it that um it's i know i have to work on myself um and i cannot i I cannot Relate to it, yes, he wants to, he, he does not want to be criticized, mm-hmm. um, but it's a bit difficult as a mother, I just, I want to know what is the right thing to do. For example, um, it's summer and everybody in the family is already having something going on, dad is working, mom is working, the younger brother um, has uh, scheduled classes to take during summer. And he's still looking for a job, like mm-hmm. from night, morning till night. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't really. It doesn't. We don't know what he's doing, but we know he's home and he's on his computer, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm still looking." So mm-hmm. I mean, it's very difficult to just stay on the side and say, "Oh okay, so continue doing but, what you're doing." Okay, but let me ask so you: what's what's the alternative? You're going to get him a job or find him a job or. Force, p- push him to look for a job? No, but he's a 21-year-old, and yeah, that's summertime right. he's staying home uh-huh. all day, and um, he doesn't feel the need to maybe make some money, so he has his own money instead of getting money from parents. Or um, Well, that's up to you. If you want to give him money or give him less money, you can do that. But, um, you know... Even in the way you talk about him, I feel a judgmentalness that I'm sure he feels. He's on, you know, he's 21, and you make it seem like 21 is like he's 51, like he already should have everything figured out and career figured out. A lot of 21 year olds in their summer, they might not do much. I'm not saying he, it wouldn't be good for him to get a job or internship, and he can do that. But um, there's not much for you to do with when it comes to this. If you don't like him you're paying for everything and you don't like that, you can change that if you want. Not as a punishment, but if you just think it's not good for him, you're holding him back, you can do that. But I wouldn't say because you're not looking for a job, I'm not going to give you money anymore. Right. Um, you can say, you know, we want to uh, 
slowly transition into you being more independent or us providing less. So we're this is what we've thought about and talked to him about it. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of times people, parents think about, okay, I want to know what I'm supposed to do. What am I supposed to do? And a lot of times what parents need to do is do less. So there's not something you have to do. You just have to, in some way, allow him to, to figure this out. It's not a problem for you to, first of all, we don't know if there's even a problem. That That's one thing. But then even if there is, it's not one for you to solve. It's not for yeah. one for you to figure out for him. You know, because you're saying, I want him to be more of a go-getter, for example. But in a way, you're almost saying, so how do I get help him get a job for him to be more of a go-getter? You can't pull him and then say, I want him to run for himself. He has to start figuring it out and doing it on his own, but you can't do it for him. And then somehow that makes him more of a go-getter. And if he's upset that he doesn't have a job this summer and other people do, and he maybe is not meeting his potential because people less qualified than him get jobs because they're applying and going for it, that's for him to deal with also, even if it gets him a little bit down. And if he wants to talk to you about that or talk to someone about that and figure that out more, he can. But we don't also protect him from some, maybe it's good for him to face that pain now at 21 for a summer job rather than we try to fix it for him now. And then when he's 31, he's actually looking for a job and has more responsibilities and more pressure and doesn't know what to do. So more than anything, I would say, as is often the case with a lot of parents, it's more about you doing less than doing more. Yeah. That makes sense. So there isn't any possibility that he's not motivated or he's not, uh, I don't know, he's depressed. No, well, when, but I didn't say like I didn't that. say he's not motivated or he's not depressed. I don't know enough to say that either of those. He could be. And, you know, even with that, it's not for you to tell him you are these things. You, if he, I don't know what kind of relationship you have. You said he doesn't say anything. Um, so I, that tells me he doesn't talk much. But if he does talk and he says he's down, you can talk to him about getting help and if he wants that but I mean it has to be something he wants um right. what what makes you think he might be depressed um just because I feel um that he does not have much of a motivation um as a 21 year old he's not excited about traveling with friends he's not excited about um exploring um around or um I don't know um and anything extra besides what he is supposed to do, mm-hmm. he's not too crazy about or working out or joining a health club uh, like his friends or any of those. Yeah, uh, he he's not excited about any of those. Well, I don't see any passion besides what he. I mean, he doesn't even. I I don't see if he has a passion to be honest with you. Well, yeah, and so, I mean, I would want him to have that too, and I can understand. And we can't. Um, force a passion into someone or even give that to them. Uh, he could be going with the way you've described him. There is a kind of an anxious characteristics to him that he's a little bit more in the comfort zone. And I, I agree with you that that's not going to be good for him long term if he always just stays comfortable. And I think there could be depression and depression and anxiety are very related. Um, but there definitely does seem to be a lot of anxiety that keeps him a little bit still. It doesn't um, allow him to, yeah, maybe... For him, traveling actually brings up more anxiety than the excitement and pleasure part of traveling somewhere and what's going to happen and all these things you have to think about and things can go wrong. So he'd rather not go. And I'm not saying he shouldn't go because of his anxiety, but we want to understand him more. So rather than he should be motivated, we want to understand what's going on. 
So that's why I'm saying I don't want you to judge him and say, you're 21, you should be motivated in doing this and this and this. Is we want to understand what's going on for him. Is he anxious? And so because of that, he's afraid to take risks or fear of failure. And then even how do you guys as parents play a part of that? Maybe because of the judgmentalness, he can feel he's afraid to make a mistake because if he gets it wrong, he might get a bad reaction. So he'd rather not try or he's learned from you guys to be afraid of getting a negative reaction from authority figures let's say so oh, okay I, I mean does that seem do you feel like you guys have been hard on them or having high expectation on the kids no not really he was always um as as far as schooling was involved he was very um independent he did everything okay, he had so good. we never expected him anything extra at school or any, I mean, we always encouraged him to, you know, um, open up the new ideas, but we never had a high, high, high expectation okay. um, from him. He was hanging out, when he was in high school, he was hanging out with very high achievers. Um, so he had a lot of expectations from himself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's for sure. It wasn't coming from us. But um, other than that, um, not really, and honestly, I haven't seen him being anxious for his, uh, even taking SATs or big uh, tests that he had to take. He was always, he looked pretty cool and comfortable. Okay. I never saw him being anxious. Maybe he has anxiety towards other things that I don't feel, but... Hmm. Um, uh, that's just from what you're saying of him, the way you described him, there does seem to be some... When you talk about not wanting to try something new... Um, when you talked about just the traveling and him not applying for jobs the way he can or should, or you thought he should, there just seems to be some, I, I'm getting the the feeling of anxiety there. So that's something to look at. And not that I want you to go now tell him, are you anxious all the time or make him feel judged about being anxious or approaching that. But it's something to be aware of that he could be, it could be coming more from the anxiety. That's why we want to always try to understand even ourselves, but especially someone else and with our children, whatever their age it's more about understanding than judging you know what he's 21 he should be should be should be this 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 i don't know it could be he's he's a 21 year old who's really smart but he's afraid to fail or he's a 21 year old and he's this and that and he's 21 also so i don't want you to yourself have some anxiety so we're talking about his anxiety but clearly you have a lot of anxiety too about him and he should be doing this and if he doesn't do it then he's going to be sad about that or his self-esteem is going to get affected and then i don't know if you keep going down that rabbit hole of then how's that going to affect his future and all these things he's he's 21 and there's a lot of time for him to figure things out i'm not saying that doesn't mean he can't get a job or he shouldn't get a job but we also don't want to make him feel really bad about that or to worry too much about it either so if you want to talk to him about things it should be in a way of him telling you and if he doesn't want to tell you then don't worry about you giving him some good advice or getting him motivated but if you if you want to tell you about what's going on for him great listen to him and and then you can in some way support him but if anything like i said before it's going to likely be you doing less rather than you have to figure something out for him right right yeah i i'm pretty sure that that should be the case it's yeah. just difficult to 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 see how to approach without hurting him and at the same time you know keeping the connection so well, that and that's the, yes, it, it, that's it, it, that's the one. thing. I always, you know, with parents, the thing that's most in your control is your relationship with him, him applying for jobs, him having a go-getter attitude, him doing this, that, and the other. 
is very little in your control. And if you actually try to control it, you're more than likely going to damage the part that you can help, which is the relationship. So you want to just let him do his exploring and do his things and figure things out and maintain the relationship. And the more you focus on that, actually, uh, you'll get more from him. If he feels more comfortable around you, if he doesn't feel like he'll get judged for saying something or there won't be a criticism, he'll it'll be easier for him to say, you know what, mom, I didn't even apply for jobs for a month. Let's just say because I was so nervous that I w wouldn't be able to do it or something, you know? Right. We want right. to give him that space to tell you what's going on. And that's why, you know, usually we think we got to push them, but usually what we do is we don't push them, we crush them. And that's the problem. So you're not going to actually help him. And if anything, you'll push him away from you. So I would focus on just you being good with him to allow him the space. And I feel from you the anxiety. So it would make sense to me that he's also dealing with anxiety too, both oh, genetically. Oh yeah. I, I do have anxiety for yeah. sure. That's and, for sure. And but that's I, the thing. So when you ask me, to... what can you do for him? Uh, the most important thing is what can you do for you, which would also help him. But first, just taking care of yourself and uh, making sure your own life is something that you're working on to make better all the time rather than how to make him better in his life. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you so sure, much. Sure. Thanks for calling. Nice talking. You have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310 We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Hi, Doctor. I, uh, my question is very general. Okay. I just want to learn more about is that we uh, behave based on our uh, previous experiences, and uh, do we all need therapy for our, uh, to correct our today's behavior, or there are things that we could do to um, improve uh, our life and the behaviors, and uh, why mm -hmm. does therapy help? What is it? that it is different than me just talking to my friends about my problems. Mm -hmm. I would appreciate it if you could just give me a general idea. Sure. That, that's a great uh, question or series of questions because um, it, it has a lot of different aspects to it that I'll talk about. So one thing you mentioned is uh, our behavior now is based on our, what has happened to us in the past. And depending on how we want to word it, I would say, yes, it's it's heavily influenced or we know it has a big impact. But we also don't want to say it causes our behavior, that because something happened in your past, it has to mean you do something today. But we know that definitely what has happened to us significantly impacts who we are today and how we behave, how we feel, uh, the relationships we create. All the aspects of our life get affected by the past. And the whole point to me, or one of the biggest reasons of going to therapy, and also just to give a general answer to what you said, I think it's good for everyone to go to therapy, but I wouldn't say that everyone has to go to therapy or that it's going to definitely be beneficial for everyone because 
I don't think there's anything that's good for everyone or that has to be in the same way. But a big part of therapy for me, I know that most people think of it, and in some ways the way you asked the question had elements of this, that we go to therapy to fix our problems or even to get fixed is the way people sometimes feel, especially sometimes they bring their kids and it could be heartbreaking to me that they have this mindset of, okay, my kid has this problem, fix him or fix her. And it's less about fixing when you look at therapy to me, it's more about self-awareness. So becoming aware of our past, aware of what has happened, and also using that to better understand who we are now, what we're doing now. Because our past is going to affect us, but the problem is most of us don't know how it's affecting us or we're not aware. Or really we can say we'll never fully be aware because there's so much to unpack and unravel, but we want to move towards greater self-awareness. Because the better I understand that, for example, what happened to me in my childhood relationships is affecting the partners I'm choosing now and also the ways I'm creating relationships now or responding or maybe I act out in a certain way. If I don't understand where it's coming from, it's harder for me to make those changes. So to, when we go to a therapist, it's not for them or a psychiatrist for them to just fix our problems because really they can't. We're going to have to fix our life. We're going to have to make our lives better, make different choices, at times get out of our comfort zone, even understanding why something is our comfort zone. Because that term comfort zone sounds like it's something that feels good, but comfort zone just means it's something we're used to or is the easiest for us. So someone's comfort zone might actually be dating people who are very critical and mean to them because somehow it relates to their past in a way that makes it comfortable because they've experienced it before, but it doesn't mean they're feeling good and they're happy. So that's why it can be worth getting out of our comfort zone because then we can live a more fulfilling and happier life. And using what we learn in our therapy, we can hopefully become more uh, self-aware. Now, we can also become more self-aware, not just with a therapist, as you mentioned we can talk to our friends. That can be very beneficial. And actually, talking to friends is different than therapy. Therapy, in some ways, can do things that you can't do in a friendship relationship. But there's also things your friends can provide you that you can't get in therapy. So we need both. Uh, we can reflect more. Things like meditation can be helpful. For some people, journaling and writing things can help them become more aware. Through the arts, we sometimes can learn more about ourselves and heal pain and past things. So it's not that there's one size fits all that every single person needs to go to therapy. I am someone who is very much in favor of people going to therapy because I think it can be helpful for most people, even just for some time. And as I mentioned, it's not that I think people should go to therapy because they want to fix certain things necessarily, but that they want to become more self-aware and then in that way, using that awareness to create a better life for themselves. I don't know if that addressed some of the questions that you had. Well, uh, yes, pretty much. But <clears throat> specifically um, regarding the therapy, because <laughs> um, I know uh, that uh, people my age do not believe so much in therapy as much as uh, the uh, newer generation. Mm -hmm. um, so... I want to know, again, uh, are there specific techniques that a therapist uses that, for instance, discussing my issues with my friends would not be able to do? Is there some uh, technique to it? What is the benefit mm -hmm. of the therapy 
sure. So, um, you know, people will say that a lot, that they don't believe in therapy or believe in therapists or believe in psychology. And it's not just about belief as in we're talking about religion. There's research showing therapy being effective. And again, it's not that it's effective for everyone all the time. And sometimes people, let's say they're depressed and they get better on their own without therapy. So it's not that it's this magic bullet that's going to help everyone all the time and is incredibly um, life-changing for everybody, but it can have benefits. Now, how does therapy work? That itself is kind of a million-dollar question that they are always studying, and there are some clues to it, but it's not that I can tell you that there's a technique kind of like, you know, sometimes I think people think of... Um, in a medical way, there's a tumor and you're going to go in there and remove this tumor. So if I go to therapy, how does the therapist remove that bad feeling or that bad part of me? And very often that's not exactly what's going on. Now, um, the therapist is going to be trained at listening in a way at picking up things at making connections that are going to be different than a friend. And another big aspect that makes therapy different from talking to friends or family is one, the therapist doesn't have any biases about your life because they don't know about you. Of course, every person has their own biases and things that they they bring in every situation. And also, they're not going to be affecting or affected by what you share with them. This is what makes it so hard that if someone goes and tells their mom about what's going on in their life, uh, the mom can be there in a way that a therapist never could be, let's say, because of the closeness and the, the relationship and the ways they can interact. It's very different that a family member can do some things. But at the same time, you, the person you're telling, if it's, let's say, your mother or family member, it's going to affect them because they might act in different ways. Or what if you have an issue with your mother herself? Now what can you do? You can't tell her about that or she's not going to be obviously objective or she has feelings about the people you're talking about. And this is why a, th a therapist can't treat their own family member or someone they're close with for multiple reasons, but this is one of them as well. So the, another benefit of going to therapy is to talk to someone who is a third party, objective, outside person who also, uh, because of confidentiality, the information won't get back to anyone. So you can be comfortable and free and talk about things and they won't in any way be in your life impacting it. So if you tell them things, it could come back or somehow be used either against you or just used in your life. So therapy has a lot of benefits in that way. And also something they find when you talked about what helps in therapy is that very often it's the relationship that's built between the therapist and the client that can be healing. A very generalized way of talking about this is that a lot of times the traumas that we have and the pain that we have was caused through relationships or created in relationships with family members or with friends or romantic partners. And in therapy, through the relationship, a lot of healing happens as well through having that type of a relationship with someone that trusts you can trust, you feel comfortable with, can make you feel good about yourself or at least understood about who you are. That itself can be healing. But to say that it's these three or four techniques that a therapist does that's going to help you. It's not that clear cut because there's also different schools of therapy and different schools of thought. So it's not that there's one way of doing therapy. Um, but I'm glad you're bringing this up because I know a lot of people, they don't quote unquote believe in therapy or they don't think they should go. Uh, for a lot of people also, there's this feeling that if I go to a therapist, that's a sign of weakness or a sign that I'm crazy. And that's why I was saying it's not about um, 
fixing problems or it means you have some big problems. To me, therapy is more about self-awareness. But for a lot of people, it takes some level of risk or vulnerability to seek out help. And they think it somehow makes them look weak or crazy. And so they say, oh, of course, I'm going to fix it on my own. I don't need anyone else. Or why would I need someone? Or I'm not as weak as other people that have to go to someone else. Or I'll hear people say things like, how is someone else going to tell me how to live my life? Or when it comes to relationships, how is someone else going to fix our marriage? We have to fix it ourselves. And so there's a lot of ways that people don't want to seek out help because they think it makes them weak or it affects them in a way that means they're crazy. Um, but I hope people don't see it that way. That's why even I'll mention on the show, and I'll mention it again, that I go to therapy myself because I think it's a wonderful thing, something that's helped me become more self-aware. And I, as I mentioned before, self-awareness isn't some uh, kind of moment of enlightenment that you're finished. You have to continually work on that. And so I continue to go myself, and I say that so I hope people slowly will reduce this stigma uh, when it comes to mental health in general and seeking out help from a mental health professional. Okay, Doctor. Um, and my, if you, you have time, one last sure, go question. Sure, I will hang up listen from the radio. Okay, okay no problem. Go ahead. Okay. Um, my question is about, um, it's not about uh, pride or I don't want another person to tell me what to do. I mm -hmm. would actually love that if someone with the knowledge could tell me what to do and prevent me from making mistakes or uh, behaving in a uh, detrimental way. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the uh, main issue for me is touching an old wound, mm. agitating it, making it come to the surface. Seems like it may cause more harm than benefit. Mm. That, that's, that's yeah, that's a great question. And so the first part, you know, just to address some of what I will you listen from the radio. Sure, no problem. Thank you for your call. No, I think that's good. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. So uh, the first part of uh, what he had just mentioned was about, you know, I, I would love to go to someone who has the knowledge to tell me what to do. And that's sometimes a, a miss, uh, kind of a myth that some people have about therapy, that you go to a therapist and they're going to directly tell you break up or don't break up change jobs or stay at your job, move or stay here. And at times those things obviously can come up, but more than likely the therapist is going to guide you to figure it out for yourself. It relates to what I was talking about the caller earlier. If we just tell people what to do, um, let's say even in that moment, if we help them choose the right thing, which first of all, usually we're not even going to know for sure. But even if we do, then what are we, they going to do the other thousands of decisions they have to make on their own. We don't want to then make them dependent on the therapist to make the decisions for them. That's actually not the goal of therapy. And even the goal of a parent shouldn't be that, okay, I'm going to be here so you can always ask me what to do. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. And that's going to lead to the best life. The parents can be there. They can talk with them. They can explore things with them. But ultimately, we have to allow for our children from a young age, and then especially as they get older, to make their own decisions, to see what happens. One, to deal with the consequences of what happens, but also to become more self-reliant that I can make decisions and have the confidence that I can make the right choice. What we unfortunately see in a lot of uh, the younger generation is that because their parents have always told them, do this, don't do this, oh, I'm going to protect you from getting hurt here, I'm going to save you from getting you know, a bad feeling in this way. But then all of a sudden when they have to make big decisions in their lives, like what to do for a career and who to date and marry, they feel completely ineffective and stuck because they have 
no idea what it's like to make a decision. They've never had to experience it. They've never uh, had to deal with the consequences. And they've been told directly and indirectly because their parents keep making decisions for them that you don't know what to do. You're going to get it wrong. So now they're being faced with these big questions. They're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to make that choice. So whether it's in therapy or just in general, as much as we sometimes think we want someone just to tell us exactly what to do, we more need to be allowed to make the choices for ourselves, explore it more deeply and figure it out. And also shows like my own and my father's and other people's makes it seem like therapy is like this. People call in and in 10, 15 minutes get some very direct advice that they're going to go and do something with. But that's not really how therapy works. So even though I am a psychologist and a therapist, when I do the show here, it's very different from how therapy is in my office, which is a much different process. So I also wanted to mention that as well. But getting to that last point about um, bringing up old wounds. And um, to begin with, there isn't a guarantee, but it will always be helpful. But something that we do tell clients very often when you're starting therapy is that you have to be ready that you might feel worse before you feel better. Because we are bringing up old wounds, old feelings and pains that you maybe haven't thought of or you are avoiding or denying because they are painful to face. And so similar to if you have some um, infections or wounds in your body that haven't been met, if we go and dig them up and clean it out, it's going to be more hurtful than what's going on right now. Right now, maybe your body has put some you know, healing over it, or but not really healing, but it's still not so painful uh, on a day-to-day, but it could be affecting your overall well-being. The same thing is happening when it comes to your painful memories. If we go in there and try to work on them or work with them, it's going to hurt before it gets better. We have to face the pain before we can feel better. And does it help? Not, I can't say every time you bring up a painful memory, it's going to become better. And people sometimes say, well, what's the point? We can't change it. And absolutely, we can't change what has happened to you. But through talking about it and working with those uh, painful memories and painful feelings with the therapist, you can change the way you feel and think about the memory. We can't change what has happened, but we can change what you take from it. So, for example, if you were hurt by someone and now it creates this fear in a lot of the relationships you have, we can't change that that person has hurt you. But through working with that memory and working on what conclusions you made based on that memory, you might be able to recognize that not everyone is going to hurt me. I don't have to assume everyone is going to hurt me and over time change those things. So, yes, bringing up the painful memories almost by definition, is going to be painful. We have to bring up that pain and face it. But the only way we can heal the pain is to bring it out. And it does take some level of vulnerability and risk to bring up those painful feelings. And most people, they don't want to feel that way. So they don't want to even touch it. And I get that. But really, it's the only way to heal is to go to those feelings and allow ourselves to to face what's there, to bring it out with the help of a therapist who's trained to talk about those kinds of painful feelings and memories, slowly evolve the way that we feel about that and we can make progress and move forward. But it always, as I mentioned, does take some level of risk. And that's why I always admire clients who come to therapy who are willing to face that challenge uh, of facing their past, facing their pains in the hopes of getting better. So thank you to that caller for those very uh, important and good questions about the therapy process and therapy in general. All right, going into our next commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. 
Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hi, Dr. Sari. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, thanks for calling. So my question is um, how to deal with trauma in a um, the right way, to be honest. Um, I have been affected throughout life with different uh, forms of trauma or traumatic events. Um, and every time it seems like I go through um, a cycle that my mind starts working uh, and I start planning of how to deal with that trauma instead of going through the emotions of it. Hmm. So what happens is that I do have a plan and I can survive, but when everything comes, uh, kind of, kind of uh, calms down, I go through the emotional trauma. Uh-huh. So you mean you don't, you don't feel the feelings so much later? I feel uh, feelings uh, later, but it's, uh, it's very painful to mm. go through it because um, in the beginning, I go flat, and I start planning as if I'm, tra- I'm planning for someone else's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, when everything kind of uh, finalizes, I go through a very traumatic uh, emotional experience. Hmm. Now... Uh- that might not be, you might be protecting yourself in an, a way that makes sense. You know, it could be too much to feel at the beginning, and you might have to do some of this planning. We can talk about what kind of traumas you're talking about, what you had to do. But either way, there could be a defense, and we sometimes talk about defenses, defenses like there are these bad things that we shouldn't do, but sometimes you're, we're doing something to protect ourselves. So it could be too much to feel at the beginning and all at once. You could have things you need to plan and prepare. So if you let yourself feel everything at once, you wouldn't be able to do those things. But then when the feelings come, I'm sure it's painful and hurtful. Uh, that doesn't mean necessarily something is wrong. It could mean that that's the, the feeling of pain that's based on what you're going through. Now, maybe you can give me an example so I get a better idea of, of what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Sure. So anyways, um, to make the uh, story short, um, I'm going to give you the most prominent ones, but they have been more traumatic events in my life. Mm. Um, but about uh, nine years ago, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening heart situation that I had to get um, uh, like a, a kind of open-heart surgery mm. uh, in a very emergent situation. Um, that took me about uh, four years to recover because there was a lot of complications after that even though I was young and very fit and the doctors did not predict that it's going to be a long recovery but anyway it took me a couple of years Mm. Um, two two, three years ago um, unfortunately we got flooded Uh, I live in Houston, Texas so we lost our house and the content um and it took us two years to get back. Um, so we just moved back to our house, which we remodeled. And um, and I was trying to kind of get back into life. Um, honestly, I was struggling to find meaning in the stuff that I had meaning for me before. Um, mm. But then I recently heard that I've had this situation that I'm, uh, I'm kind of 
they, they diagnosed me with a pre-cancer situation that I have to go get surgery for it. Hmm. Um, so in the past couple of years, it has been like I'm, I'm trying to kind of be in a survival mode. Yeah. I go through one event, I plan, I kind of get myself through it, and I get back up again. And by the time I just want to sit down and look at the sun and kind of take a deep breath, pat myself on the back and enjoy life, something else comes up. Mm. Um, and it seems like um, each of them have been um, large or big enough that it's pulling the rocks on from underneath my feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, a lot to have to deal with and like you said it feels like you're more in survival mode than you can really enjoy things and finding meaning in life is so important it might be the most important thing and it's also something if we look at Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning he says that um, the meaning of life it's not something we ask of life but something that life asks of us meaning that we each have to find our own meaning and so it's not something for me to tell you what your meaning is or can be or wh- how you should find that meaning, but I hope you can, uh, amidst the traumas and things that you're going through, f- find meaning. But it can be hard when we feel like... It, it seems hard, I think, for you not to expect something to go wrong or for there to be a next thing that goes wrong. Exactly. That can make, yeah. I guess I find myself in that uh, state of mind recently a lot. Mm-hmm. And thank you for mentioning, because my main question other than that trauma mm-hmm. is how do I find meaning because I find myself struggling mm. uh, when I go from one event to the other one um, I fall and pull myself back up again and I do it brilliantly I get back up again as if nothing has happened um, well that might be you know I've, you don't have to do it as if nothing has happened. And so you did mention how you um, deal with things and you deal with the logistical things and the planning and then the feelings come later. And as painful as they might be, you might have to make sure you do let yourself feel the feelings and and go through whatever that grieving process or that pain is um, because it's not as if nothing has happened. Something has happened. I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I'm just... Uh, just... Yeah. I was coughing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it just, um, you know, the feelings are part of... I was even thinking when you were talking about planning, um, part of your planning when you go through something, and I hope you don't have to plan for, for after a trauma again, but it should include the feelings or how you deal with the feelings or even psychologically how you're going to deal with things um, because that is also part of the process. There's the logistics if you have to do surgery or medical treatments, which you've had to do. But then the psychological side is not something to be neglected either. And sometimes people, uh, you know, they get a medical diagnosis. And of course, the focus is on the medical, which makes sense. But very often it can be important for them to go to therapy as well to deal with what they're dealing with on the emotional level. Um, so just to give you more information, mm-hmm. uh, I am a counselor myself. Mm. Um, and I do actually go to counseling and therapy. Good. Um, I've, I've been to a, a different therapist. Um, at this moment, I'm working with someone that does somatic sensation. 
therapy, mm-hmm. um, which is helpful uh, because she helps me to become grounded and to kind of rework on the nervous system and all that. But I don't find it effective in helping me go through the emotion. As you mentioned, it's very important to plan logistically, but then again, uh, psychologically and emotionally to go, like, walk the step. Mm-hmm. That is what, uh, that's what's lacking. I, I become like a robot. Yeah. And becoming uh, like that, even though it's very effective and I can be um, as sound-minded and as present as possible to plan, um, I feel flat, and it, it's very painful to feel that way. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You know, you, you use the word effective, and I get that it can be effective in the sense that it allows you to, um, well, in one act like nothing has happened, but then get to all the logistical things. But it seems like at some level you're numbing yourself, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the show, that when we numb ourselves or try to numb ourselves from the bad, we also numb the good. So you're probably yeah. not getting much pleasure or enjoyment in life, and you even said yourself like a robot. So, uh, and I can get that it's, it could feel that to let yourself feel all the pain might be too much and might be so overwhelming that you can't. So you've, uh, in a way, consciously or unconsciously chosen this defense of not letting yourself feel everything, but then you're not going to feel a passion for life or a zest for life or an excitement because you're going to feel overall numb. But then that pain is still there. It's kind of like a dull pain maybe, but it still seems like things don't feel good. And so you might have to take that risk. And maybe your therapist, I don't want to say you have to change the therapist, but even the therapy itself could benefit you more if it gets to the feelings more. I definitely try not to get involved with anyone's treatment because I don't know enough and it's definitely not my place, but something you yourself also as a counselor can, can think about this. But getting making sure it's facing the feelings too, because maybe you chose a therapy that's a little bit more technical so you don't have to get to the feelings as much. Um, well, one of the reasons that actually I chose it is because it's very interesting that you mentioned that. It's not that I'm scared. Actually, I want to find someone that could help me and guide me to going through that process of feeling my emotions when it's necessary and it's, health, mm-hmm. and it's healthy. Mm-hmm. Even though it's yeah. negative emotions, but it's healthy to go through them when it's the right time. Um, in my experience, unfortunately, it has been that uh, each therapist that I've worked with, uh, they walk me to the point that there's a door, and not, none of them can kind of help me push that door open. What, how, what do you see as that door? Whatever that the emotions is behind. You mean to, to actually get to the feelings? Yes. Okay. And, of course, I'm sure the therapists are, obviously they play their part, but it could be, there could be a very strong resistance in you to face the feelings. And, and my first guess would be that because it is so painful and that you try to keep things together. And so I know you're saying you're not afraid of it and maybe you're not afraid, but there is a, a risk that it takes to get that vulnerable to face that feeling or those feelings because maybe you are afraid they'll be too much or you will lose control or you will not be able to hold it all together and when you use terms like a robot um, it it makes sense that that would be scary for you so I think logically 
you get that it makes sense for you to face the feelings, but actually getting yourself to do it could feel too much, could feel like too much. So I would hope you try again. And with a therapist, it likely will be easier. Oftentimes people who become therapists who are therapists are good at dealing with other people's feelings, but they have a hard time themselves getting to their own feelings. So that might be true for you. Um, so your suggestion is just try to go from one therapist to the other to, so that I, I Well, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily because like I said, I it's not about for me blame, but in understanding what's going on. No, right. So I'm not saying it's your therapist is the problem right now. And I don't want to say that you're the problem either, but it does seem like getting to the feelings. um, There's some, it's a huge block for you. And so even sometimes therapists in their own therapy can have a hard time getting emotional, even though they're used to dealing with the feelings of other people, but expressing their own feelings, there can be some huge blocks. And so you might be that way also. Does that resonate for you? Is it hard for you to get to your own feelings? Um, It resonates to the point that you mentioned, and it really hits the the point that when you said, um, I say that I'm not afraid, but of course it's scary because I think at some point I will lose control of everything. Or what you mentioned was you want to pull it, together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah. think that is what I am unconsciously doing. Right. Because I felt um, that even the way you talked about um, how well you deal with things, it was that you always hold it together or it, you said at one point as if it didn't happen. That was a strength, which isn't necessarily the case. And I see this all the time. I find it unfortunate. People go to a funeral and they say, oh, you know, the daughter was so strong. She wasn't crying at all. She was so strong. And we say that it's a strength that the person isn't crying. Now, I don't want to say that everyone has to grieve the same way, so everyone has to cry, but it does show that we give some kind of like a benefit to someone if they don't cry as if that's strong and good. And the opposite of that is crying would be weak and not good, which is not the case. So it seems like internally you have some of that of being able to hold it together, being the one that, for example, is there for other people's feelings, but you're not the one that needs to go to someone with your feelings. And for a lot of therapists, that's the way they are. There could be, uh, like you said, kind of unconscious ways or ways that you have a hard time letting yourself be the emotionally vulnerable one, but you can take care of other people's feelings. I think that's the case. So uh, even though that I know that the healthy way of dealing with yes. stuff is actually going through it, Oh, I'm sure you've told people the things I'm saying. You've said this to other people yourself many times, you know, the same kind of thing. So um, I would recommend, you know, the book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, she talks a bit about this concept of how a lot of therapists um, or people that would want to go be therapists are people who can put their own feelings away and deal with others. So Mm -hmm. if you have read that or haven't read it, maybe you can read it again or read it for the first time. You might resonate with some of that, but I think, you have to be ready to take that risk of being vulnerable, of risking even falling apart and likely seeing that you won't completely fall apart. You might be uh, vulnerable and need support for a while. Everyone needs that. But you will be able to recover from that and hopefully regain some of that vitality and aliveness that it seems like you had to numb to allow yourself not to feel the pain, but now you've also not felt the pleasure and joy of life as much either. Okay, that makes sense. Um and regarding finding meaning, yes, 
You know, it was interesting when you when you said that. You know, let's talk. Uh, we were actually over a commercial break, and I I want us to continue the conversation. Just just hang on, and we'll talk after the break. Okay. Thank you. Sure, thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Um, I'm still here. All right. Thank you for bringing me back. <laughs> okay. Thanks for staying on. And so before the break, you asked um, a big question. Almost we can say it's kind of like, uh, it sounds like a, a joke you'd see on a movie where it's like, what's the meaning of life? And then it's like one minute left. So I didn't want to give us just a few seconds to talk about that. Now, my first actually reaction when you asked me in the first segment we were talking, you said about meaning. And I actually felt this strong desire to just, you know, give you something like say, oh, what about the work you do? What about family? What about something? And I realized that was me just trying to fix or the problem or think of it as I can just solve it for you when I know it's not that easy. And as I did myself even mention after I had that own thought in my head of it's something that you're going to have to find for yourself. I can't tell you what your meaning is. We can explore it a little bit together, but only what you find meaningful in life will be meaningful for you. Um, so what even for yourself comes to mind as what has given you meaning in the past or you have thought about when it comes to this question of finding meaning in life? Um, so um, before all this that has happened or even the midst of it, um, my outlook on life uh, has always been positive. Uh, even in the darkest moments or hardest situations, I would always ask myself, uh, what is life trying to teach me? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is hard. This is difficult. Um, it's uh, uh, frustrating and all that. But let me see what I can to learn from it or what I can get out of it mm-hmm. and move on with more knowledge and more understanding. And, um, so every event that I've gone through and uh, as I mentioned, it has been more trauma that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I have tried to um, kind of connect a meaning to it. Like, this is not only suffering by itself. This is for me to understand myself more, learn about myself more, learn about life itself more, or my loved ones, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, I find myself not being able to do that anymore. Mm. I feel as if I have been uh, kind of um, making it up for myself, or I don't know. I'm kind of confused. Hmm. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if that was real, and now I'm just not finding that hope, or was that only a way of me going through the difficult times? In yeah, life? and of course, it could be a little bit of both, and it's hard to say what it was, but um, yeah, at times we can even in how we uh, talked to the end of the last segment, it's you seem to be good at the intellectual way of making things make sense. So you could say, yes, this is actually good and I'm going to learn from it and grow, which makes sense at some level, but maybe that's not actually how you were feeling or that wasn't the whole picture. There was some of that, but there was also some pain and some feeling of why me or this felt feels unfair or whatever else you were going through. And it's important for you to, to feel those things. And can there be meaning in suffering or pain? Absolutely. And even in uh, Man's Search for Meaning, I remember a story that uh, Dr. Frankel shares about um, 
a man he is seeing and his wife had died and he was in so much pain grieving the death of his wife. And he was an elderly man, I believe. But he's, the, Dr. Frank was able to talk to him and say, do you feel the pain that you have? Imagine if you had died first, how do you think your wife would have felt? And he said she would have probably been devastated and so hurt. And so he was able to show him there could be some meaning in his pain and suffering that it meant that his wife didn't have to go through that pain of losing him. So by him surviving and living longer than her, there could be some meaning in that pain that he had now because it prevented her from feeling that. So at times we can find a way to find meaning in the suffering, but again, that has to be something that makes sense and resonates for us. We can't just fake it. It has to be real. So there could be ways that you might be able to find some meaning in what you've gone through. But I think what you have to be careful about is not to trick yourself because you seem to be good at doing the intellectualizing where you can make it seem like, and also you want to not feel a certain way so you can get yourself there. Like, you know what? Actually, this is great. And I'm such a strong person that I'm grateful for going through this process because I'm going to grow and it's going to make me this and that. And there could be some of that, but we don't want to ignore the feelings that you might be going through as well. And so I think that's something that's been neglected is the, the pain that actually part of you, I'm sure was like, you know, this really sucks and feels unfair. Why is this happening to me again? And I don't want you to stay in that place only, but I want you to be able to face those feelings as well. See, that's why I'm trying to kind of break through. Yeah. I know that's what's needed, and it's nice that I'm strong and all that, but uh, I want to go through it a full person. Yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, strong doesn't mean you never feel weak. You know, even a, a very strong person goes to sleep eight hours a day, you know, so they're doing nothing for eight hours a day and they're sometimes need help and they need medical treatment and they need all sorts of different help, even if we think of them as someone strong. But I think going to that place of being strong tells you that you can't feel those other parts. So I think, yeah, being a whole person, as you very well put it, means you Go forward with the scars too. They're real and they're there also. And the pain is is there. But you can be that whole person, not just the strong person. Um, can I ask you just one last question? Sure, of course. Um, something you uh, mentioned um, brought this question to my mind. Um, the, the fact that you mentioned that people go through, or I have been through all this and ask why me. Mm -hmm. um, the weird... Uh, thing is that I never said, why me? I asked myself, why me not? What makes me different or special than other people? So why not me? Hmm. Well, um, I mean, I, I guess in a way, I get but, that mindset, but, and it does make sense. I think that actually is, is true. Why not you? It's going to happen to someone. But it could be, based on what you told me, you've been through a lot, that I could understand that that why me might also come up. Maybe so it doesn't. That's my question. So why isn't that one coming up? Because it makes more sense when I say, why not me? Is it uh, because that I'm judging myself all the time? Well, I mean, I don't know if there's a part of you that feels like you deserve something bad to happen to you. I hope that's not what you mean. But it, it does seem like the why not me, there is this kind of like the martyr or the saint kind of a feeling. Like it's it's... It's almost superhuman. I, I mean, I get it. I think if you can get to that place, it's good. But I think realistically, if someone goes through something and several traumas in a row, 
at some level that why me, this feels unfair, to me it would make sense at least for that to come into your mind. I'm not saying I would want you to stay in that place because that usually will keep you in a victim kind of a feeling, but to have that feeling and to work through it, I think would make sense. And so hearing you talk again, I think you'd prefer to think why not me because that comes as a sign of strength and, and makes you, again, like this robot. But to me, the why me part makes sense at least of come to your mind and be something you feel. So I want you to be aware of how you might sometimes want to feel what you prefer to feel rather than what really is there. So for example, people say, I don't want to be a jealous person, so I'm not good. I don't feel jealousy, but maybe they do. So I'm not saying they should feel jealous, but just be in touch with what's there. But before, but because they don't want to feel like they're weak or they're, you know, whatever else judgments they might have, they want to, they prefer having a certain feeling or to not have a feeling. So that's something I'd want you to be aware of is that it seems that at times you can go to this place of, well, it's more noble to think why not me? And I'd rather have just that feeling. So I don't want to go to why me? And I'm not saying you have to necessarily feel that, but to me, it would make sense for that feeling to come up based on the things you've described. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for calling. Good luck. Uh, you know, it's a process, as you know, it's a journey, but I hope you'll go to the space of embracing your own pain more. Um, yeah, that's that's the plan. <laughs> yes. Okay, good luck. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Duwakwi. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Dr. Fahri. Hi, thanks for calling. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. Actually, I have a question about my son, uh, about the gifted child. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son is six years old and goes to the public kindergarten. And I have to uh, say, he should be stay at the fresh day, but for the cutting off day, uh, he goes to the kindergarten just for five days. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he's not been uh, formally tested for deepness, but he's, uh, we see something on him. You know, uh, he tested online uh, several websites, and uh, they said he should be stay on the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. He's not uh, supposed to be in a kindergarten. Um, I talked to my husband uh, and uh, we have some options for him. Sending him to the private school or um, grade excursion. But honestly, we are not quite sure what's best for him. Mm-hmm. And that's I'm calling to, to help me some okay. advice. Okay. Uh, now, I know you said you did online tests. What, what kind? You mean like an IQ test? It's, it's kind of IQ test. It's uh, including play and math. Okay. And yeah. Okay, so because online testing is not, it's not a very accurate way to get an idea. Right. So I wouldn't uh, take too much weight into what you got from those tests as saying something. Doesn't mean he's not gifted or might not have the IQ mm-hmm. that they're saying, but... I wouldn't rely on that too much based on just taking an on, taking online tests. Um, 
Now, as far as what you should do, generally speaking, having kids go forward in certain grades, like, you know, having a six-year-old go to fourth grade, even if he academically can handle it, the social and emotional um, uh, detriments or ways it's going to hurt him, to me, don't make it worth it. So I don't think it's good for him to skip uh, forward in grades and to... To, to, even if he could handle it academically, it's going to hurt him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so there, I know there's an idea of rushing, and if you could do something faster, you should do it. But a lot of times we miss out on what can be even more important, which is he, we want him to develop into a, a good, solid person, human being who feels good about himself in all areas of his life, not just academics. So I, I'm generally not in favor of skipping grades. Um, now, to begin with, like I said, because you've only done the online testing, if you want to get a better understanding of his capabilities or his IQ, you can do a more formal type of test, uh, which is going to be in person and takes several hours. Sometimes even you have to go in several days to do a full testing. And it's usually not cheap either if you're doing it yourself. Now, if the school does it, they might uh, cover the costs or have people to do the testing. But that's something else you can uh, can look at. But let me ask you this. What's your concern? Is it that if he is gifted in some way you want to make sure he gets challenged? What What is it that you're concerned about? Actually, in the school, he's not enough challenged mm-hmm. at the class. Uh, he always bored at the school. I have to say something. Uh, he starts um, solve the multiplication problem mm-hmm. as he was just four. Wow. This is two years ago. And now, for example, for his school, his teacher trying to teach him uh, two plus two or uh, trying to teach him the number um, 50 to 100. Mm-hmm. And he's not interested to answer the question. And uh, his teacher said he's not, uh, he's not a good kid in the school uh, and other kids follow him too. That's why. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's not challenge enough at the school okay so that could be yeah that could be an issue and you know you said he um went to kindergarten even though he was five days away from the cutoff and usually actually for most parents listening i know a lot of times they think well if that's the case i want my kid to go to first grade or push them forward it could cost them now in your son's case it might be a little bit different but in general i've seen studies recently showing that adhd gets diagnosed more in children, for example, in kindergarten who are on the younger side, because at that age, it makes a big difference. So if you see a kid who's five years old versus a kid who's five years and 11 months, there could be a big difference. And so you think that the five-year-old has ADHD, but it could be more developmental that they're just that much younger, that it looks that way, or they're not able to focus or concentrate as long. So just a general note to parents who I think often think, well, I should always put my kid to be the youngest and to push them forward. There can definitely be some negative consequences to be aware of. Now, in your son's case, if he is that advanced or so far advanced that he's getting bored and because of that even acting out or he can't stay focused because the material is too easy for him, we do have to be aware of that. And so it could be important to get him some testing to see where is his IQ, what his uh, level of um, you know understanding is in, in different academic categories. And again, I wouldn't skip him forward so much 
it is possible one option is because he was five days away, he might be okay going ahead that other grade if that's that's something to look at. Just I wouldn't make that the first option, but just something to mm-hmm. keep in mind that if it's so not advanced for him, then he could have an issue. Mm-hmm. Now, it could be that math is going to be an area where he's that much more advanced, but other um, other subjects, he won't have that type of an advantage. So maybe he's okay. And so there could be some way of modifying the classes he's in or maybe in another school where when it comes to math, he gets a little bit of a different math than other students or he gets some extra math work that's a little bit more challenging, but he doesn't have to completely skip a grade because I'm not sure, is his reading also advanced compared to the other kids? Uh, it's not only for math. Okay. Uh, he can read um, about 300 pages a book per day, or he can write really well. Mm-hmm. And in the school, his teacher uh, pushed him to trace the letter, and he gets bored, sure. and he doesn't go to the school. And I said uh, about two months ago, we went to the uh, behavioral trophy mm-hmm. um, that the school suggested for, for us. And the test, uh, they tested us, uh, and they tested the teacher about my son and also the doctor. And uh, they said he doesn't have any autism, any ADHD, uh, mm-hmm. and... It's just really close uh, to the anxiety, uh, mm. the the yeah the line. It's okay. very close, just to the anxiety. But they didn't say uh, he has something else. That okay. So he has some anxiety, and sometimes even we see anxiety or OCD in highly intelligent people. So he could uh-huh. be be some of that, um, and so. One thing I'd mention, I know you're trying to figure out academically what to do, and I think that is very important. But one thing we want to be also aware of is sometimes with a child like him, if he is so gifted and advanced, um, that it's a gift. We, it definitely is. But we want to make sure it doesn't also turn into a gift and a curse, meaning that it's not negative. Because sometimes a child like this, because of how gifted they are in this aspect of their life, they become just that. They become just this really good, smart student or academically smart, and they uh-huh. don't become as well-rounded. We don't see them as a, a person who does other things. So, for example, he might be so advanced and so used to being so successful in academics okay. that when it comes to playing sports, if he's average or below average, he won't want to do it because he's used to being always number one. And we don't want him to have that feeling or that mindset. So we want him to also do things where he's not necessarily the best or so uh, superior at it because he has to have that experience of challenges. Okay. Sometimes you're not good at things. And also we want him to develop other aspects of himself and his life that socially he's interacting with kids, his age, he's doing sports and physical activity. If he likes a musical instrument, he can do something like that as well. But just something I want you to keep in mind is that as much as it's such a wonderful thing, he has this gift, it could turn out to have some negative consequences in his emotional and social life if we're not careful to, to give him that balance. Right. Yeah. How, how does he do How does he do socially, like making friends? Um, actually, he's really good with the friends. Okay, good. Friends. Yeah. Um, especially with uh, youngest kids. Okay. Because 
he likes to be a leader, mm-hmm. and as long as the friends follow him, and yeah. So that's well. So that's actually so that's what we want to be uh, mindful of too. Because and that and for that reason, it might be good for him to sometimes interact with older kids too. Also, not necessarily he has to go to third grade or fourth grade, but if he does, if he has to always be in control and be the leader. In general, we think, oh, it's good for our kids to become leaders. Yes, but in being uh, in society and being in life, they have to also be able to interact with people where things don't always go their way. That's part of relationships. Is Sometimes I pick the game, sometimes you pick the game. Not always I pick the game. And so because he's so smart and because maybe the anxiety or he likes to have control related to that anxiety, he might always want to make things his way. And so we have to be aware of not necessarily making him feel bad or pushing him to do things he doesn't like, but to push him out of that comfort zone where sometimes things don't go exactly how he wants them to go. Sometimes he doesn't get to pick the game. Or sometimes he sees he can't just overpower the people using his brain to get things to go the way he wants. So that's something else I'd want you to keep in mind that uh, although we want to do what he likes, we don't want to just make everything easy for him in the social way either. That if he has to always have control, that could itself be a problem down the line. Yeah, for example, for the uh, music class, he goes to the piano class. Uh And after... Second class, uh, he start to make the music without the note, just by listening. Mm. And he can play for now, I think, five to seven music, just by listening. After two, uh, yeah, after two classes. Mm-hmm. No, and, he he might be like I said, him being gifted seems like it's definitely there. And we don't. We want to cultivate his gifts and his talents, and allow him to explore things and enjoy that. But we also want to make sure, like I said, your job is to help him be a well-rounded person, also, so that he doesn't lose sight of other things. Um, so he can be in a relationship. So, for example, if every time he plays with kids, he has to have complete control, and they play the game he wants to play the way he wants to play it. On some level, we can say, "Wow, what a great leader." But eventually when he wants to be in, let's say, a, a really close friendship or a romantic relationship, it's not going to be what he wants all the time. And we don't want to give him that idea that that's how relationships go. So we have to be aware of the balance. That's what I want you guys to, to be aware of. As much as we will help him further develop these gifts and talents, and that's wonderful, but making him well-rounded and balanced, it's at times harder for people who are so gifted to be as as well-rounded. And I'm not saying he has to be like every other kid because your child does seem to be unique and different in wonderful ways. So I'm not saying he has to be like everyone else and our goal is to make him like everyone else. But we want to make sure that all the different aspects of what a human being is, that we don't neglect some of those parts because these other parts become so significant as they can be when he's so gifted in these ways that we forget about the other other things, the other parts of life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you said just one grade is, is okay for him, right? I mean, Sorry. the reason why I was just saying that, I usually don't like skipping grades, but you said he was five days away from, because it was five days, that doesn't seem like it's a huge, now it will be a jump because he will go from kids, you know, he will we'll go uh, interacting with kids a whole year older than he was this year. 
But that's why I just said to me that option doesn't seem so bad because you said he was only a few days away from the cutoff anyway, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that, you know, but I would also, I would go forward and do more um, thorough testing, not online, like actual testing where he's sitting down and getting, so we get a better understanding of what we're dealing with and and who, you know, what, what exactly is going on and then figure out what to do. But like I said, making sure that your role is to help raise a human being, not a uh, scientist or, uh, you know, someone who is getting straight A's or graduating the fastest or anything like that. You're trying to raise him as a human being most, more than anything and even approaching him in that way and being aware of certain things like fear of failure or with someone like him, what's actually very important is, I don't know if you're familiar with what we call a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Have you heard those terms before? Okay, so fixed mindset. There's a great book by Carol Dweck. I have to get off the air in just about a minute, but the the author's name is Dweck, D-W-E-C-K. But even if you look Uh up growth mindset versus fixed mindset. So fixed mindset is the idea that that a lot of people have that if you're going to do something, either you're good at it or you're not. Growth mindset means that you have to work hard to get better at something. And so for your son... A lot of things are going to come so easy to him and he's going to be constantly told you're a genius, you're so smart, you're a genius, you're brilliant, that he just thinks it's because he's so smart that he's going to do well. But we want to teach him that, no, it's not about just you being gifted that makes you do well. It's from hard work that you're going to be successful. So we want to make sure we don't actually keep emphasizing you're smart, you're smart, you're smart and tell him more about, oh, you worked so hard. Oh, you got an A on this? Wow, you must have worked really hard rather than telling them you're so smart you got an A. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so making sure the way you praise them is it's very important. I wish I had more time to talk about this, but I hope you'll look that up because I think with a son like yours who's so gifted, it's important for all parents, but because of how talented and gifted he might be, there could be this focus more on how smart he is rather than on working hard. And then if he does face challenges, unfortunately, if he thinks it's because of how smart he is that he was successful, now he's going to think either he's not that smart or he's not that good or not that lovable. And it could lead to a lot of things. So I would think about that as well. But again, I'm sorry, I do have to to wrap up the show, but thank you for calling. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Sure. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good day. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners. Thank you to Ghazala, who's here in the studio, and Farhud, who's wrapping up the show now. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Lakwi. Have a wonderful day.